Welcome to this week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are Karen Tallon, myself Brian Fox. Also joining us today is our producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media, also a recent PR and events uh, graduate. We have something different for you today, a new one-hour special on construction, reputation and property brand management of the digital age. So, Carl, why don't we start off by asking you, what, why is the reputation of management important? Okay, well, first of all, let me just say that, you know, we're, we're what, 14 months into this radio show and podcast, and this is something that we have been meaning to do all the way through because um, generally, uh, through the radio show and podcast, you know, we try to talk about property property management aspects of buying and selling a property aspects of construction planning and we've really focused on technology and it's interesting because in my day job in in a property district the things that we deal with most are things like reputation management um, and, and what that means in the digital age. So I've been meaning to do this show for about 12 months and it's just taken us this long to do it. And um, it's not a coincidence that we're doing it today. Uh, really, the show today is coming after a, a really um, noticeable spike over the past 12 months in commentary online, um, on forums online, on Twitter, on uh, within Facebook groups and things like that. Quite negative commentary um, objecting to planning, mm. but not through the official channels or local community groups, really disseminating quite um, unreliable and inaccurate information about developments. And this is a real problem, not just for property developers or for planners or for build and design teams. It's actually a problem for the communities as well, because um, we know that there's confusion out there. We can see it um, actually as part of the commentary that's going on online, but we saw it as well during the general election, uh, the questions that politicians were being asked on the doorstep about housing, about construction, particularly in light of, say, construction defects and how poorly that was handled over the past decade. There's such miscommunication and unfortunately, um, construction and property, they're industries that traditionally have suffered from uh, a poor reputation and that was that was um, decades. That that was decades ago. But over the past decade, that reputation, you know, or really kind of a decade ago, that reputation took a hammering. Mm. And firms have really been battling since then to not just do everything right, but to be seen to do everything right. You know, perception is everything. So, what do you uh, mean in the context of? the collapse the economic collapse yeah and, absolutely and because you know in the same way in mm. the same way you know bankers developers uh, planners you know they were really lumped into one and and um, from a reputational point of view they really uh, you know there was such negative stuff going out and some accurate but a lot inaccurate um, and some well, fair were, and some they, very unfair was the construction is prepared for it then 
Absolutely not. Mm. Um, the construction industry wasn't prepared for it. The developers weren't prepared for it. And I can tell you, most certainly, real estate agents aren't prepared for it. And the thing is, anybody who is self-employed or involved in, in, in the running of a company, and even at a senior level in a company, they will be so aware that your reputation is everything because Ireland is still a very small country. And one of the things we've seen is that um, there's, there's very much a labour shortage and skills shortage at the moment. So what's happening is there's a lot of head, headhunting mm-hmm. going on uh, between firms. And I think what's really interesting is that you've got the same names and faces popping up under different companies now. And suddenly all of these things, what used to be just about the construction um firm the reputation now it's very much individual reputation within a firm and that more than a decade ago that that maybe wasn't such a big deal and I think that's something that professionals are really struggling to manage but um, really the the need for this show today is because new media particularly mm-hmm. so PR traditional public relations um, and and media that's always been a challenge and something that the construction industry has had to deal with in the course of their everyday job but new media digital media social media that has completely changed over the past decade in fact I would go so far as to say it's changed over the past five and years construction industry adapting to it or changing to it? Um, actually, I, well, I, I see the leaders really stepping forward. You know, we're seeing a huge rise um, in in uh, transparency. And in terms of reputation management and building reputation, it's all about trust. And the way to the way to establish trust, particularly kind of within communities that you're developing in, is transparency. Now, we have the tools for that. You know, that's where these uh, websites and and effective communication or effective social media strategies can be used for really transparent communications. But I would say that that's probably been embraced by the minority of the community. So we can see it among the best in class, but it's certainly not widespread. And I would say that developers have been more strategic about this. So less willing to share and more strategic about what they share. And I don't know that that's a good thing. I don't think it it helps them. I don't think it benefits them. Whereas we're seeing contractors, some of the some of the big contractors are really doing this well. In fact, some of the small house builders are doing this amazingly well. You know, we're seeing marketing teams that are embracing social media. They're embracing commentary. Um, they're engaging with groups. They're running um, On competitions. Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, yeah, absolutely. But in in a positive way, you know, communications has really changed. Often, when I'm speaking to developers, particularly or or, or um, people who've been in construction maybe for a couple of decades, they'll always say to me things like, um, "I don't understand the." internet and I have no time for social media and things like that and I always think that's really interesting because construction like many businesses construction was always about word of mouth and in fact social media is a two way form of communication so actually it's kind of like word of mouth but perhaps you know in an amplified way but if you think about it communications up until a century ago was always two way you know, it was always chatting to the neighbour, word spread, um, getting word out. You know, even down to our politicians and, and standing where, where on their soapboxes. Where communication towards? Is it towards man in the street or, or...? Well, that depends because um, 
obviously home builders will be looking to communicate and, and what most people would be familiar with would be the communications that they're doing to sell a property or to market a property or perhaps um, to get planning permission, engaging with the public consultation and community engagement side of things. But actually, that's only the tip of the iceberg. There's two other very important strategies in terms of communications that any contemporary firm needs to embrace. You know, one of those is the internal communications. Yeah. So keeping your team happy, making sure that new technologies that are being deployed um, are being communicated well, that the opportunities for this, for embracing new technologies or for even in terms of business development, internal communications is exceptionally important to keep the team you have motivated, to let them know that they're on a progression path, to let them know that the company is on a progression path in terms of winning new business and things like that. You know, you should never have a member of your team finding out about a new business yeah, win online yeah. and that still happens yeah. so it that's very demoralizing for team uh, for staff members and and for team members but the third kind of strand of communications there is actually across the supply chain now i would argue that that's probably the most the most important one right now because Absolutely, we yeah. have um, a labor shortage mm-hmm. and in terms of contractors looking to subcontractors there's huge competition and um actually it's it's in terms of securing and and maintaining the the supply chain and the loyalty and the flow that you need to work well with the teams who work well together actually really good communications across those is is vital and that's something that we've touched on probably 10 times over the show in the last mm-hmm. over the last year by bringing in people who are providing CRM and project management tools so under our prop tech and construction technology section we've actually covered this a lot already um over the past year uh, so we've dealt with the the communications tools mm. the digital tools the CRM systems Within the that industry. are feeding in mm. but actually there's a there's communication that needs to happen within um, within senior management that needs to filter all the way down and, and there needs to be this these three strands of communications to make sure that people who are working within a company feel involved in that company that they're not ready to jump ship as soon as things but get on the, tough. But on the larger scale I mean outside of companies there's this, this consternation now with the, as we've witnessed with the last general election um, consternation about the whole industry here and the fact that it seems as if government now the industry can provide enough housing how would that how's that would you would you agree with that sort of assessment unfortunately i would agree that it exists but i i don't agree that it's blame that's necessarily well placed i think when we look at the fallout of um of the past decade I think that there's plenty of blame to go around and it's not just directed at any one industry or sector. Um, I'm not sure that there's been a really concerted effort to try rebuild the reputations of of the collective industry. So, in fact, what, how we've seen that happen, because actually Irish contractors have a superb reputation outside of Ireland, but that hasn't happened because of any concerted effort by any lobby groups to build the Irish construction industry. I would say... Um, despite the fact that there exists bodies to do that. So I would say that actually the the salvaging those reputations and, and almost rebuilding them, that has actually been done by individual firms. The gap between the best in uh, the best in the sector and those who are just they're not at the races at all. The gap between those two is so wide and we never really had that before. That's something that has really only come about in the past decade. Before you could get away, firms could get away with not being terribly good 
in good times. Yeah, that's that's not going to continue anymore. So, for example, you know we've we've spoken a lot about the um, uh, about BIM technologies and a whole range of construction technologies that's needed to coordinate on site. We've also spoken a lot about um, offsite offsite construction and uh, the trend towards um, particularly modular buildings and other forms of but what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is, do you do you see management um, reputation in terms are, are there two sectors internally within the industry and externally within the country do you follow what I'm trying to say in other words do you think there's a perception in the country that there's bad management uh, bad management reputation yes you do well, we, we have to because the projects that go into the media tend to be large capital projects and they're in the media because of project overruns. And the headline is project overruns. The okay, headline right. is never yeah, yeah. very poor procurement processes mean that there's an incomplete brief so that overruns are entirely inevitable. In fact, they're absolutely unavoidable and we don't seem to look at the policies behind it you know at the end of the day the people within the industry can actually only do so much within the policies and frameworks that are there so I actually think one of the most important jobs um, that any leaders in the uh, planning construction or property space right now one of the most important jobs they have is to make sure that they're feeding into policy because actually one of the things we've learned is that um, policy making can't be allowed to happen unchecked. You know, we've always had that in reverse. We've had politicians saying that the industry isn't allowed to operate unchecked, whereas actually we can see that policymakers absolutely should not be left to make policy unchecked by the industry. There needs to be collaboration. We're gone past the stage where any one uh, member of uh, you know, any one department or any one sector within the industry can claim to have the answer. The reality is a collaborative approach is needed. It's the only way that we're going to make progress. But again, on the on the, on the sort of national platform as well, it's it's a case where you know you hear at dinner tables when people are discussing the property business, or in bars or whatever, the whole thing is about uh, lack of. Um, lack of land to build on and secondly the fact is to we haven't got the um, we haven't got the uh, builders to to um, we haven't got enough builders coming in to, um, to to build either uh, well I suppose they're actually two completely separate issues, issues. Mm. in fact without that would be sort of lack of yeah, planning I suppose but actually um, do you know it's funny I, I, I've actually just been doing a little bit of work on this over the last couple of weeks and you know I, we came across this study internationally but can really apply well to Ireland and it specifically said that relying on urban planning as the panacea for the housing crisis is really a bad plan because urban planning can only do so much. It needs to be a step behind that again to really strategic and good land use and land management. That's something that Ireland was lacking um, in the past and the framework has been put in now through um, through uh, Rebuilding Ireland and operating to the National Planning Framework for, for uh, towards 2040. There's a framework in place there that actually if it is if it is adhered to, um, but with the flexibility that's needed, but if broadly it's adhered to, um, and the Land Development Agency, with those two things coming in, supported by uh, various rural initiatives, um, including the different uh, commissions, uh, the the regional assembly, the Western Assembly. We now have policymakers feeding in in a way that we haven't had before, and actually, I think the Land Development Agency could be transformative. Now, I've said that before on the show here and I think it raised some eyebrows and maybe there's a bit of naivety on my part. 
But I genuinely think that there's the potential there to be for the Land Development Agency to, to actually be transformative and to have an impact on the market in the way that um, disjointed planning policies can't. Mm, and how do you think the, uh, the LDA, the Land Development Agency, uh, the way it's structured at the moment, are you, are you optimistic about transformation? Well, I, I should probably pin my colours to the mast here and say that I'm one of the people who thinks that overall NAMA was a success. And from that point of view, I think that the structures, the expertise and a lot of the resources have been carried over to the LDA. And I think that we know an awful lot more now than we did when NAMA was created. So from that point of view, I'm hopeful. Um, I would, uh, my biggest concern right now would be the very uncertain political landscape. Yeah, uh, because you've hit a very good point there in that um, the whole idea of construction in this country, I think, can, has been sort of looked at from an urban uh, development plan as opposed to taking all, all the agencies around the country in, in terms of planning and, 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 and yeah. looking forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an approach that's really frustrated people around the country. And in fact, um, in terms of development land, we know that Cork is is um, the most active development land uh, sector and area outside of Dublin. And even there there seems to be a slightly different interpretation maybe of some of the density rules there's a different ethos around it and that shouldn't be the case when we have a national strategy that shouldn't be the case but in terms of rural versus um, urban this is something that I often find myself in the minority about because I grew up on a farm I utterly respect the rights of the next generation of farmers who are going to sustain the land, um, their right to, to build on it, notwithstanding the challenge to provide public services to people in rural areas. I understand that, but I think that there's a greater need to maintain rural communities, um, having lived in one, having grown up in one and having spent a lot of my time actually in a very small rural community in North Kerry. It's something I feel very strongly about, but also having lived in Spain and spent time, particularly in northern Spain, where you see in the morning um, quite elderly farmers cycling out a mile or two miles outside the village mm. to these farms with falling down outhouses. And they will have um, forks and, and spades uh, on the side of their bike, as, as on the bicycle as they're uh, cycling out. And essentially the idea was to remove people from the farms, put them all into villages, a little bit like what our urban planning wants to do. However, what you have are the buildings on the farms being left derelict. There's still, the life isn't in the villages to maintain the younger communities, so they still move off. And in fact, a couple of years ago, we actually filmed um, a mini documentary series about all of these entire villages for sale in Spain because entire villages were being abandoned or you had villages but I think they're revising that now, I, think, I think they're looking, having a look no are they not okay. not that I'm aware of and certainly I think the policy is very much against one off rural housing which like I said I understand from a policy point of view in fact um the Dublin City architect uh, once said to me, and it was meant as an insult, but I didn't take it as such um that we are a nation of individuals and while I think that was meant to be in a derogatory way, I would say, yeah, we absolutely are a nation of individuals. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but we just need to work together collaboratively. And look, this this is something we're going to touch on more. But um, today, I really want to get into 
um, show develop, uh, show property developers, planners, property companies how they can actually protect themselves in terms of brand management and social media. So, look, we'll take a quick break and when we come back, we might continue our conversation and actually see what a communication strategy for a contemporary firm actually looks like from start to finish. 93.9 Dublin South FM Welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tan and myself, Brian Fox. We're also joined by Katie Tallon as well. Uh, you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email uh, hello at iPropertyRadio.com. As mentioned before the break, we're back in the studio to discuss what a communication strategy looks like from start to finish. So, let's okay. talk about communication strategies. Right, well look, before the break we talked about why reputation management is important and look, I, I don't think there's many firms that need to be convinced why it's important um, the challenge is achieving it so sometimes I'm very aware that when we talk about a communica- uh, communication strategy it can seem a little vague so actually what I wanted to do because we see so many uh, planning construction and property um, estate agencies letting agencies and indeed prop tech startups coming through here I thought we might actually get into specifics about what some of them can be doing and maybe what's working and what doesn't work because there isn't a lot of information about, um, say, for example, new media and social media strategies for property firms or for construction firms in the Irish market. And unfortunately, looking at US examples or even looking at UK can be very different because the audience is very different. So um, let's start with part of the reason why we're here today. So say in terms of podcasting, because we want to go through a full strategy. So um, as you announced earlier, Brian, uh, we're, we dragged our producer, Katie Talon, from Hear Me Roar Media in studio because in addition to doing a wonderful job producing our show, thank you very much, um, we you're also a recent PR and events graduate. So in terms of, of new media strategy, I know that you actually deal with the new media strategy for a number of firms in the construction space. So... I would I would suggest that a full communication strategy means I, we've already talked about uh, internal, external, and across the supply chain. But let's talk about the external side of things. Um, traditional PR has really changed. Now, it's a long time since I studied PR, but you're you're a very recent graduate. So, talk to me about say in terms of of PR and how you find the current landscape in Ireland. Are we talking more social media or... Yeah. How are you going? Well, I personally think social media is... My God, it's kind of... I feel personally the most important thing about PR. I mean, how are you going to get your business out more than you will on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram? I mean, I know Facebook may be kind of a dying dying, uh, platform at the moment, but... Instagram, Instagram has just been building up, building up insanely. I think most importantly for for construction companies getting their getting their dreams and everything out. I mean, you see people go, going and putting a tree a three D three D three D visualizations. Three D visualizations. Yeah. I know personally in the last few days I've seen places got places around Dublin, old old hotels and everything being renovated and they put up 3D visuals of what of what it will look like, what they want it to look like. You know, I Absolutely. think that is just the most important thing. I mean, you're getting you're getting your business out there, you're showing people what will be there. I mean So you can you, so you know, we're we're used to Facebook at this point. So what what would you see would be the advantages of Instagram over Facebook? Personally I think images tell 
tell the complete it's story. Do with images. I know my I know myself obviously as a recent graduate and in my twenties that Facebook I wouldn't really be going on to Facebook. I wouldn't be re Facebook at the moment just seems it's for it old fogies like you and I, Brian. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just. I'm I'm not I'm not being that mean. Don't worry. I, but personally on Instagram, I mean, a picture catches your eye. You see mm. a, a long-looking article on on Facebook. You're not going to read through it right, unless right. they have a catchy headline and big bold letters. And it's difficult to use stop. it. Though. I mean, how 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 would a user? Uh, what were they what were they faced with from, from going from Facebook to Instagram? Well, you're, it, go, you're going from you're going from words to pictures. To pictures right, mm-hmm. right. So you're trying to you're trying to get people you're trying to capture people's attention with pictures. Mm-hmm. So you need to you need to read through what you're doing. You need to you need to think in your head. What can I put into a picture that will ca- capture these people's attention? Like I think an article on Facebook will. Mm-hmm. So straight away you're you're kind of you're minimalizing your you're pure there yeah. do you think do you think there's an element of the different way that people take in information because I think you hit on a really important point there the visualisations like if you think about it before when you know up until a number of years ago when new new developments were being proposed you might have uh, your your plan um, a, a drawing the architect's drawings you know, we're never very realistic looking. Whereas in the last 10 years, they've become so realistic looking. And in fact, only in the last couple of weeks, I was in, um, I'm, I'm not going to name the firm, but I, I was in with the contractor and we were in the office and we were looking at um, at images uh, of the of the visualisations that were done in advance and the, and the scheme as it was photographed when it was completed. And there was a disagreement around the table as to which was which. So these are people, professionals within the industry, and we could not tell the difference between the visualisation and the photograph at the end. That's how good the quality has gone. And I mean, Mm -hmm. in in Ireland, we have some real leaders in this space. Um, We've had we've had. Oh, 3D Design Bureau in. And they're they're definitely among the best, not just in Ireland. You know, so this is a skill. This is, But that's a com- form of communications. You know, so when actually, when you're talking about breaking down a communication strategy, if it's going to be for a proposed development, then actually the most vital form of commu- communications is to put out accurate information about what the proposed development is in terms of planning and how it will affect local residents and the area. And the second thing is to make sure people understand that. And by doing that, um, in order to do that, you use the visualisations or virtual reality, or as we do through Place Engage, using augmented reality to show the digital building come to life in reality. So all of these tools exist. So it means that, you know, maybe 20 years ago, if I was being hired to do my job, I would have had to tell a story to create the place. Yeah. Now, but storytelling is still important. But, but, that, but that's my point. Visualisation. I mean, from what I've seen of Instagram so far mm. uh, is just purely politicians and so forth, uh, other other journalists, whatever, just putting up images. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are, are, very, are very much a jokey type thing. Whereas with, let's let's just ignore Facebook for the moment. Twitter, there's, there's a, a narrative there plus an article plus a photograph. So you're getting a lot more information. Well, photographs on Twitter is very new. You know, um, but what I'm trying to get to three is, years ago, four years ago, I suppose I'm trying to, no I suppose I'm trying to understand Instagram a bit more. In that, I just see a picture, 
and it's fine and it's very good and all the rest actually, of it. but no, narr- no, no narrative as such well there is a narrative actually there, there's comments there and in fact um, in terms of the mm. hashtags you use mm. um, the hashtags on, on Instagram are more effective than they are almost anywhere unless you're um, doing something on a on a trending or on an event in in Twitter actually so it mightn't seem to you like narrative but actually the hashtags are the narrative um, so you can't click on links in Instagram unless the particular account has more than 10,000 followers and in Ireland there aren't that many um, on, on unless they're makeup tutorials or cooking you know, I certainly don't <laughs> think there's any property ones um, that actually have clickable links on them in Ireland right now. However, um, I don't think that it's. I, I don't think that you can compare list and compare the the social media platforms like that because actually they each do a slightly different job. So I would suggest that. Facebook is exceptionally good for getting the text of a message with photographs and you can incorporate videos um, and it goes one of the key strengths about Facebook I mean Katie look you rightly identified that certainly it is not it's not growing the way it had been mm-hmm. growing mm-hmm. Yeah. but I wouldn't say that it's dying I think it's it's evolving social media is evolving it's certainly not popular with young people at the moment but I can remember 10 years ago when property companies were telling me they didn't need to be on Facebook and to be honest they were probably right or even um because the buying community wasn't there and the selling community wasn't there that's changed they absolutely are now but I can remember five years ago Instagram wasn't important in other countries Pinterest is one of the biggest ones for property Pinterest has almost no following in Ireland Mm. so there's no point in being on that and trying to sell property or trying to promote your property but Instagram while it wasn't important five years ago is exceptionally important over the last few years, but it's more important from a business to consumer as opposed to business to business. So contractors wouldn't be so concerned about um, Instagram. They would generally just use it to maybe showcase project updates and things like that. Wouldn't be so important. Um, whereas if you were tr- if you launched a new development and you were trying to sell it to first-time buyers or even to investors, then absolutely, you. but not institutional investors, individuals, then absolutely... Facebook and Twitter and and Instagram are still good, but in terms of business to business, Instagram. um well, no, in terms of business to business, uh, Twitter is good for for uh, engaging with members of the media. But I would say the so has platform, it become like that then as sort of a, oh it has yeah look yeah. social media uh, social media is a tool so yeah. uh, you it's, either it's use become, it or become, it uses it's you captured by journalists now and, 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 and that type yes uh, but also a lot of contrarians um, which right. is the nature of it but in terms of business to business the one platform that actually that I hope every business listening in today the one thing actually if I can communicate if there's one key takeaway from today's show let it be that most people think they have. Um, a LinkedIn page when they don't. They probably have a LinkedIn profile. If you have a LinkedIn profile, that is not a company page. And I recommend setting up a company page immediately. And the reason is that LinkedIn has transformed over the last two years. And in fact, I heard... um, uh, I heard one person, one international speaker, Gary uh, Vaynerchuk, he spoke about how LinkedIn today is like Facebook was maybe six, seven years ago, just when company pages were starting to build. Advertising was cheap, but you still had all the targeting capability, whereas advertising on Facebook now is exceptionally expensive. LinkedIn 
is is still getting very good organic reach so you LinkedIn company pages you don't have to advertise but actually Brian I'm going to give you a stat now and I think it will surprise you um just there just before Christmas I got a media pack from the Sunday Business Post as mm. it still was then and they listed their impressions per month at a, or sorry per week at 109,000 so digitally their digital impressions per week 109,000 so Frankly, in other words 109,000 people are, are going to the Sunday Business Post no, every week no impressions just means it showed up for them somewhere they mm. might not have clicked into the site no. but here's the really significant thing we can now see with a following of between two and 3,000 people on a company's private um, LinkedIn company page you can be reaching upwards of 80,000 people per 30 days now just this is how, why traditional media is really struggling right now because if a company a contractor a developer an estate agent if they can reach 80,000 people by only having two and a half thousand um, on their page if they can if they can reach and have impressions of 80,000 over a 30 day period why would they pay the extraordinary fees that are still being demanded of traditional advertisers when they're only getting 109,000 per 30 yeah. days and a staff of 30 people. Just be, Does it make sense? Just the one thing I want to put to you before we take a break, uh, and that is um, the world of uh, podcasting. Now, podcasting is a, is, is a, is a medium by which um, it's it's uh, two a couple of people talking about a particular particular topic uh, for for um, half an hour or an hour. It's distinct from regular radio in that radio programs generally have a, a wide range of of, of uh, topics to to to, um, to discuss. Um, the value of podcasting in the industry, would you think it's well, I, I actually, uh, hey. I, I'm definitely not the expert on this. Uh, Katie would would be the expert on this. So, um, Katie, you organise our podcast. So, um, you know, and and actually, by the way, I don't think we even said on air, but uh, last month, I think, uh, Property Matters here, uh, we actually reached number four on the Irish technology um, charts, the iTunes charts, and that was thanks to Katie's podcasting. So you might just talk to us about just the value of podcasting and why it's important. Well, podcasting, I know, is there aren't many people who will tune to radio here and then, but it's always great for them. They have possibility of being able to say if they say if they're not in the car at a certain time, on a certain day, they don't need to worry about miss about missing something, missing something they want to listen to, they need to listen to. There is always that possibility that they, that they can go back, they can tune in on an app on their phone. And do you know what? I, I know personally for my generation, I mean, everything now we listen to is on Spotify. But thanks now, you've got podcasts from all across the industries on on Spotify. I know even, I know even Property Matters is on Spotify and I know I subscribe to it. Let's just put it out, put it out there sure, right now. I, I'm sure management at Dublin South FM would love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the value, but, sorry, are you want to talk, Katie? No, 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 go ahead. I think, I think it's a very valuable um, asset to have because you've got very much people that are that, are, that they know what to talk about. Uh, from my own experience of it anyway as well, um, BBC now are putting on uh, a, 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 a newscast what they call it and it's three or four people that are correspondents within the BBC European Brussels political editor in, 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 uh, in the UK and a political commentator and what you're hearing from them in the context you feel as if you're not wasting your time 
mm-hmm. everything. And RT are doing one now as well, and they did one last Friday, which I must say was very, very good because again, you got inside people who know what to talk about in terms of the logjam in politics at the moment. So again, you're, you're, you you feel that you're getting valuable information on a, on a particular topic that you that you um, yeah. that you do you want to listen to. I think. No. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, Brian? We had a conversation about the currency, um, the new Indeed. publication in yeah, Ireland, yeah. and I was talking about how it's long form um, yeah. as opposed to these short articles uh, written and edited. And I think there's a really a place for that. And I would see that podcasting is a little bit like that. You know, there's a couple of elements. Like first of all, it just fits with our on-demand generation. And by the way, I don't think it's a generational thing. I think as a society, we have now become quite intolerant to mm. um, to. Uh, and to waiting and mm. to having to turn on something at a certain time so it's the on-demand generation and the, the informality of it as well well yeah possibly that's it but um, one of the things I saw was that um, you know we know that we know that uh, streaming streaming services are really overtaking in terms of the growth of streaming services is is greater than um, any growth we're seeing across television. In fact, we're seeing a decline. Um, There are similar trends between uh, traditional radio and podcasting, but I'm actually seeing that go even a step further between um, websites. Almost now, traditional websites being overtaken by platforms that are more into the the two-way communication because it fits with, like the streaming services Katie mentioned there in terms of Spotify, it fits with our on-demand generation. It's what people want. And I, I think it's really important in terms of podcasting. It's the equivalent of long form conversations whereas if you tune into a traditional radio show generally speaking um, I think everybody around the table here has been involved in traditional radio and we know that you have six minutes to cover something it's very difficult to cover something so in six minutes yeah. 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 yeah so it's it's the long form nature mm-hmm. of it that people want you can tune in at your own convenience um, when you're going and in fact I get so many emails actually saying that people listen to us on the commute in and out in the car so um, and, and I, I think that's great I think it's one look I enjoy podcasts myself and in fact this show while it does air weekly um, out uh, on radio it was actually initially going to start life as a podcast so um, the podcast is still a very important part of our strategy yeah. So, um, Katie, just to finish up then, you, you think there's life in the podcast? 100% I do. I mean, you can listen to it anywhere, anytime. It's just, it's always there. It can be used again and again. You, It's where, it's where we're transitioning to now and yeah. it's, it's where we're, it's where it's going. I, look, to, to finish up on this, it's an important part of a more holistic yeah. um, content content strategy. And remember, people like to consume information in different ways. So um, it's really important in terms of a comprehensive communication strategy and content strategy, particularly that when you're generating content, content there should be a good mix of written articles. Uh, long form and short form because that's where you establish thought leadership you've got your video strategy your podcasting or your audio strategy but also um, visualisation so whether it's good graphics or infographics but it's a good way to put out lots of different forms of content and test your audience. We have the tools now to measure and track and that's something we might touch on after the break. So um, definitely it's it's not a case of what con- what form of content you like, it's what form of content your audience and your target audience enjoys and how they want to consume it. And that's the most important thing. But look, we might, we might continue this after another quick break and also most importantly, we want to talk about crisis communications for the industry. So we'll be back shortly. 93.9 
Mind. Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tallon and myself, Brian Fox, and we're also joined by Katie Tallon as well. So as mentioned before the break, we're going to continue our conversation on crisis communication in the uh, construction industry. But first, let's just have a quick conversation about measurement. Uh, Carol, talk, talk to us about measurement. Okay, well, look, we had just touched on that before the break in the context of an overall communication strategy, and particularly um, in light of new media and, and um, social media. PR... Traditional public relations has traditionally been quite difficult to measure and I suppose old-fashioned metrics might have been, you know, an increase in sales, but that doesn't really measure brand awareness. Um, so there are lots of different metrics, but they are more um, more uh, an art than a science, whereas everything online is measurable. So a digital is fully measurable. In terms of our podcast, we know in real time every hour how many people are downloading the podcast. Whereas in terms of, say, listenership figures on the radio then that's a little more difficult to it's quantify. It's called reach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but it's more difficult to quantify, mm. whereas everything digitally we can quantify. So right. in much the same way as I mentioned earlier that on LinkedIn, you know, even with 2,500, 3,000 people on your LinkedIn company page, which I stress is not your profile, they're two different things, so please check that out. But that with two and a half, three thousand people on your LinkedIn company page, you can be reaching upwards of eighty thousand. Or uh, so it's hard information, in other words, as opposed yes, to but you know what radio the great thing where is, it's 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 by by people for yeah. people what they've listened to in the last within it's a very, specific hour. Sure. Yeah, and it's yeah, very yeah. difficult. And but it, but it gets really specific. So, for example, I mentioned earlier that um, Facebook has gone very expensive for Facebook pages to advertise. Um, one of the key advantages that you can target it so well and you can see and break it down as to what every click and every like cost you where uh, and there's similar there's similar tools available on LinkedIn so actually we we mentioned before the break the importance of um, a holistic content strategy that covers um, written content in long form um, and short form uh, video content audio which is your podcasting and um, also images and infographics and you need a good mix of those but actually it's a really clever thing to do is routinely test your audience and see what they like so in fact one of the ways we do that is if we're dealing with say an engineering firm um, or we're dealing with a particular type of construction technology something quite detailed we will generally take the same information and we'll give it what we call a treatment um, over a couple of different ways. So, for example, we would start with a long form article. So this is where we really work with the client. So we work with the engineer or the contractor or whoever it is in this case and help them to communicate their thought leadership, to help them really put a, put down their visions, their views, what they think in about the, the industry in a long form uh, like treatment, I guess, for a documentary. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So long form. And then, but we will also, once that once that exists, and that could be, you know, a 12 to 1200 to 2000 word article. And, you know, we might circulate that through the trade press, trade magazines, or we might just put it online on the website, depending on what's appropriate for the topic. But from that long form article and that original thought leadership piece, we will definitely get at least one, if not two or three short form articles. So blog right. articles on a weekly basis should only be about 500 words. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll get a couple of those. But here's what's really important. We can turn this into an infographic. So we take the main points, put them into bullet points, 
turn them into infographics. We can also turn them into videos. Um, and so infographics then go onto the website, is that, is that the idea? Yeah, but, but again, also put out on social media and we can turn them into videos and put it out on social media. So essentially, we're dealing with the same topic, but we will have four different formats of content. Right. And we do that over a number of, you know, that might be done over two to three months. But what's really interesting is then we can actually go in and see how many people... Uh, first of all, the post, how many people, um, what were the impressions? So how many people was this exposed to? And of the people it was exposed to, what percentage of those engaged with it in any way? And I think that one of the one of the disheartening things for people, and maybe if they don't have their own page, they mightn't understand. But actually, you might have something that has uh, 3,000 impressions out of that you might have maybe 80, 90, 100, 120 people click on it and then out of that five people might like it so if you were looking at somebody else's page you're only seeing that five people liked it but you're not seeing the number of thousand who were exposed to it so, in terms of brand awareness So, so therefore the, 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 the important thing is to, is to get a like but no, not necessarily at all, actually, because brand awareness is established through the impressions. The really important thing in that instance is to compare and measure between the same the same um, topic, the same content that was going out. Did people prefer to consume it in long form, short form, audio, video or infographic? And in fact, for most things, video wins with one exception, for anything in terms of st- structural and civil engineering, the infographics work. So they don't just want an image okay. with a title. They actually want they want a, um, a full a full graphic that has the, the main points. So if they want to read further, they can be linked into the long form article to read it. So um, it's really interesting. That's the one. That's the one thing that was slightly different to most of the other trends. All of the other trends were towards video, except for engineers. So in fact, what we know from that is that if you're trying to communicate with um, the engineering or the design and build team, then you need to be doing infographics, not just videos. Whereas if you were to read very general advice, you would assume it's videos. So this is the importance of measuring and tracking. And the thing is, the digital tools exist. So it's an industry to itself, I'm sure. It's so important. Oh, Mm. it is. But the only thing is, these tools exist. And this is all free. So actually, any company can do this with really very minimal training. Um, so So you really do have to be digital smart, don't you? In business nowadays. Yes, but you know, actually, these digital tools are really intuitive to Mm. use. So you don't need to spend a lot of time. And in fact, um, without talking ourselves out of business, we have calculated that an an effective, minimal uh, social media strategy can be delivered um, by providing maybe one hour to generate content in a week and about 12 minutes per day to host across four platforms. So there is no way that a company can't afford 12 minutes per day. And just, I mean, you're, you're blowing me out here with with, uh, with, with, with facts in relation to this. Um, to go back to our own topic, the construction industry, I mean, is it aware of how how much data can be taken from, from what you've just described in the last five minutes? Um, I, no, I don't think they are. But to be fair, LinkedIn has really only changed in the last number of years and Facebook maybe wasn't so relevant for some things. But now... Um, in terms of, again, Facebook is very important for business to consumer, but for business to business, which is most of what the construction industry is, 
um, it's not so important. However, I always recommend that uh, contractors, engineering firms, that they do maintain and build up a Facebook page for the very simple reason that when we need to get specific information across, there's great targeting facilities there. But also, if they need to hire somebody, they can actually target um, you know, relatively recent emigrants, um, maybe in Western in uh, Western Australia or in Canada, who qualified in such a discipline from such a, a course at any given age. So the targeting is so specific. Say if we want, if we knew that we wanted to target somebody, and it was likely to to um, suit. So say if it was an engineering, sustainability engineer, we knew it was somebody who was likely to have qualified the last 10 years. We would like them have, to have come from one of two or three universities in Ireland. We can actually target like that. And actually one of the most powerful things on um, Facebook when you're trying to target people, particularly the younger generation outside of Ireland, is to link to local GEA clubs. Because even non-GAA fans follow local GAA news when they're outside of Ireland. So there's so oh, yeah, many ways that you yeah, can get absolutely. very targeted. And look, I think the key takeaway today, because I understand there's a lot of information here. So again, the key takeaway from today is that we absolutely want to, uh, we absolutely want to make sure that every business operating out there has a LinkedIn company page, not not profile. necessarily profile. They're different things. LinkedIn company page and start building it up. And also. The other key takeaway is that, you know, digital and new media, that's the new normal. So anybody who's looking back to try, you know, feel familiar with things that were done a decade ago, that's just not going to work. You know, this is the new normal. And while this will continue to evolve, this is what needs to be embraced. Um, It's really not complicated. And in fact, these are all, uh, well, mostly freely available tools. Um, so actually it's much cheaper than traditional advertising and that's of course why traditional advertising is so threatened by it so it yeah, is really like, important like you can yeah. understand that because of the yeah. specific nature of the, inf- of, the back, uh, of the information you're getting back from it as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um, what else do you want, will we cover before we, uh, before we close um, in, in Houston's Two Neighbours yeah, well, I mean, look, we started today and, and a big part of today is actually, um, I know, and I know I do want to touch on the crisis communications because it's just so important at the moment. So actually, you know, maybe I'll just take a step back here and say, explain what crisis communications is, because actually the construction industry and property developers are, they're an industry that we're well familiar with crisis communications before it was talked about. Um, and this goes so far beyond kind of any lobbying that happens. Crisis communications, the nature of that has really changed over the past number of years. There's a number of reasons for that. One, there's certainly anecdotal evidence to, t- to suggest that general members of the public and local residents are less tolerant of mm-hmm. development. Um, the other side is we know that there's, there's a push for greater density and in an established city, that means people are going to have to get used to living in closer proximity to each other. And we know that nimbyism, this not in my backyard, is such a huge problem. So that's causing more people to object. And the nature of the objections have really changed. Um, so I'm not talking about people who um, who respond through the planning process by way of objection. I'm talking about the people who, you know, put notes through the doors or, or post inaccurate information on social media and actually the first tip I'm going to give in terms of that is that I generally don't encourage any firms to engage whether it's an estate agency or a a developer or a private planner um, or contractor 
not to engage with and with negative social media like that because quite frankly you know there's an old adage you can't reason somebody out for a position they didn't reason themselves into so if there's an accurate information um, going out your job is to present accurate information through a website it is not to defend the development online so actually engaging on social media usually is is a, is a non-starter right. there do you think it's good to keep track of that like do you think it's like yeah. I know I know ourselves we've often had to kind of monitor different different social media groups and everything just to just to keep an eye and make sure that kind of the information that's being put up the people that are joining the group the people that have created the group that sort of thing so yeah. Would you, would you recommend always to monitor situations, or would you ever think, no, you need to take a step back, you need to. No, no, or? actually, no. That's a really important point. You absolutely have to monitor when these things are happening because, in fact, we had a we had a recent situation where we we were alerted to potential problems and. Um, uh, unofficial protests on a building site and ones that were going to be spread to other building sites through a Facebook page um, or a Facebook group. So no, that's huge. Thank you. Yeah, that's hugely important to monitor things like that. Um, in terms of crisis communications, it's so important um, to to react quickly when needed. But actually, that's the temptation. Normally, it's it's so important that you never act without full information. So, in fact, in most cases for the firms, it's not a good idea to be the first to respond. So journalists will ask questions in some cases based on maybe misinformation from an online mm. social media account. Mm. And in mm. fact, contributing to that can actually help build a story when really you want to. You well, you would hope the journalist does the research into well, the story exactly itself. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. And, and to be fair, um, Irish journalists are normally incredibly good at that so even where there's misinformation and they go to investigate that they will they can usually tell the difference between frivolous mm. things so um, but I think most people too would um, raise an raise an eyebrow to information they're getting on Facebook in the first place would they not oh no, no they don't but I wish they did mm. yeah no unfortunately not and um, so in fact one of the really important things here is is to be very careful about response don't don't make um, an ad hoc response to something negative like that Social media management does require training, you know, so for yeah. firms, you do need to learn how not to react to negative information, not to engage with negative information and to really remember that your job is to put out the facts that ought to be available on any given development well, and put them in one place, which will be your, just remember your... In your control. Your website is an extension mm -hmm. of your company and the social media is an extension of your website. So you control those, make sure the important and accurate information is there and that any commentary is di is directed to there. I guess of that's why we, why we hear of fake news nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But look, there's so much more we could talk about here. And I know we'll certainly touch on elements of this again, in, uh, particularly in terms of um, nuisance, because we saw Dublin City Council launched the air quality and, and noise uh, website. So maybe that's something we'll cover over the next few weeks because it all comes into being a considerate contractor. Um, but that's it from us today. That was our construction reputation and property brand management in the Digital Age special. So thank you for listening in. And you can get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iProperty radio.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. Thank you to Luke Delaney and Peter Rice on sound and also to our show producer, uh, to our show producer Katie, who was also our, our expert, our resident um, PR and events expert who joined us in the studio today. We'll be back at the same time next week from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon and all the team here. Have a great week.